Dashboard Effect Podcast. I'm Brick Thompson. I'm Caleb Oaks. All right. So today we want to talk about becoming data-driven at a company and how it's not necessarily intuitive how you do that. Yeah. What is data-driven? Well, that's, that's <laughs> the right place to start. Luckily, I consulted ChatGPT before. Well, that's great. <laughs> that's <laughs> no, great. I'm kidding. How do you define data-driven? Consult your local ChatGPT. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, so I would define it as employees regularly seeking and finding information that help them do their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. As I think about it, it's just really, it's that exactly. I think maybe to bring it even more down to earth for me, it's that employees regularly use data to make their decisions and drive what they're doing. With that, what are the benefits of being data driven? Why does everybody talk about I want to become data driven or bring or make my company data driven. Why? Yeah. So I've been doing a lot of reading lately, yeah. as you know, you and all of those books, there's like a common theme through all of them, no matter you know who the author is or um, what the topic is. Uh, typically, it's a, some sort of business book. I have a very boring Kindle library, <laughs> uh, but it, it uh, you know, everything has a theme of data in it. Somehow, right? Whether it's a scorecard that you look at in your weekly meetings or, uh, you know, whatever it might be, there's always that underpinning of you've got to look at your metrics, some yeah. sort of regular cadence. Yeah, it's, it's almost like you don't have to ask why. Um, it's just sort of a given that you need to have data to optimize your business. I mean, if you look at guys like Lencioni, you know, the five, five dysfunctions and other books guys, um, he's always coming back to data. Or uh, The Game of Work, Chuck Coonrat. I mean, it was a book from the 80s, but or I think he may have first written it in the late 70s, but still applies. You know, give people the score. Give them a scoreboard. Mm -hmm. They're going to be happier. They're going to be more productive. They're going to feel more fulfilled. And then uh, I was looking up uh, quotes, and of course, there's the Drucker quote, you know, what's measured is managed. What's get, what gets measured gets managed. Or sometimes people say it. What doesn't get measured doesn't get managed. Um, it's just so important to a business that you almost don't have to say why. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I think once you get to a certain state, like a certain, you know, maturity level in your business, you're, you're going to be looking at that stuff anyway, but it's worth, worth repeating for sure. So everybody talks about becoming data driven these days. Most people want to become data driven and yet it's hard to do. What makes it hard? So, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about how to do it yeah. and, you know, what, what would, what might work. So one of the common ones would be, let's just build this report and we'll get it to the users and, you know, be done with it. And that'll, that'll like change things and that'll, that'll start the, the uh, catalyst or, or that'll catalyze getting us to a data driven state. When in fact, as our last podcast episode, we were talking about uh, iteration yeah. That's definitely more the reality. And uh, anyway, there's a lot more that we'll get into with that. But you can't just build a report and expect people to change. Right. Yeah. The one and done. I mean, it happens, but it's the exception. Mm -hmm. um, you're unlikely to hit it right exactly the first time. And businesses change and needs change and requirements yeah. change and, and so on. And I think I think now that I'm thinking of this, I think there's a. It's, it can be tricky because with these cool tools, like you think take a Power BI or any of these other interactive data visualization tools, when you get that report out, people are super excited. It's like, oh, this is so cool. 
and this is amazing. And it feels like, oh, well, you've totally done something here. And then, you know, two weeks later, they're like, now it needs to change and we need to do this or we need to do that. And it's not quite getting you there. And, and then maybe it just kind of fades into the distance, right? Right. Yeah. I think there's also a fallacy, a misconception, which is, is counterintuitive a little bit, which is we'll start by getting our data perfect. So we'll corral all the data we need and we'll do all of the data quality cleanup we need to do. Let's do all that first and then we'll be data driven. Um, you're going to need to do those things along the way, but companies that set out sort of with this monolithic waterfall project of let's get our data perfect and then we'll start having some reporting and become data driven. Um, often I think that doesn't work, usually, actually, because what you think you need when you start a data project often changes, as we've talked about, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago. And once you get reports and data in front of people, they'll they'll figure out what they really need. Right. And so that old-fashioned, old-style data warehouse project of let's define a common data model and spend 18 months building it and then we'll be data-driven, uh, it's a it's a huge risk and and not the right way to go. Yeah, right. It's tough. And especially when you know that there's data problems that you have to solve first, right? It can be tempting to say, we got to get our, we got to do all this data work first, and then we can start doing some reporting. When in reality, you probably should flip those things, start reporting, right. get an insight, get insight into your data, actually get a good handle on the, on the problem. Anyway, it, uh, it, it goes, it, there's still plenty more to talk about there and I yeah. can go on and on, but I think we've covered it. Um, I think uh, some of the other problems that people have is just people sort of having resistance to change, clinging to the status quo. I, I mean, I've heard it working in companies. Oh, well, this is how we've done it for 18 years. Mm-hmm. You know, we have this spreadsheet and we enter the number here and then, you know, it, it can be sometimes hard to break people out of that. Right. So the uh, the I guess the last thing that I would like to to mention, and then I think we may have one more point, is that there's so many tools out there, like, oh, and there's yeah. so much great marketing, and there's so much so much to look at, and there's like it's almost information overload when you start looking at the data space. Like, there's just so much stuff out there, and it's easy to get swooned by that marketing and think that's the answer to all my problems. It's not. Right. The tool is about 10% of what you have to do to get you to where you want to be. Yeah. I mean, it's a really good point. There, there are a bunch of good tools out there. I mean, we're Microsoft stack. Uh, Microsoft has great tools. There's other good tools too. Um, I think what happens to people sometimes when they're trying to become data driven is they run into some of these problems that we're talking about and others. And then they see a good marketing piece about a different tool than the one they're using. And they think it's going to be some kind of magic solution, sort of the, the easy button to solve my problems. And, and really, it doesn't get to the root of the problem. Right. Right. So, exactly. yeah, that's a really, really good point. With those in mind, what's the right way to approach becoming data driven? And, and I'll just caveat again, we're not going to get too deep today, but what are the big pieces that people should be thinking about? Yeah. I think you've got to start with making sure the company is ready for it. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about exactly what that means, but you have to make sure that your culture is ready to embrace data. I remember a few months ago, I was talking with, uh, I was doing some diligence for a private equity company that was looking to buy. Actually, they were, they had already sa- signed the LOI, but they were, um, getting ready to take over this company and we interviewed the C suite. 
to see like, how, you know, what are your views on data? Kind of where are you at? Get an idea of, of this company's culture and more of the technical stuff. But really a lot of our audits focus on the culture of the company to see, is this going to be possible if you want to do it? And, um, you know, and one of the guys was, you could tell it was just didn't want to do, uh, didn't really want to get into data. He was more of a stick the finger in the air kind of guy. Like my gut tells me we kind of know what's going on. Like, yeah, you can look at the numbers, but we really know what's happening, you know, and that, and we raise that as a big red flag. Like this is, this could be a real impediment. You know, he's the, he, I think he was the COO. It's a, that can be a big problem. Oh yeah. So, I mean, so you're, you're saying it starts with culture or culture is key. It's huge. Right. And when you're going to start with culture at a company, you've got to have leadership. Executive leadership has to has to be bought in and aligned first, yeah. I think. Um, I've seen projects get derailed even when you have a lot of the team, executive team ready for it or key members of it. If you have one key member who's not, it can derail the whole thing. Because yeah. when you're doing these projects, especially at the beginning, it can be easy to poke holes, right? Right. If right. you get a report that has a incorrect number on it. Well, if the team is culturally aligned, great. You go back and do an iteration, revise and fix it and move forward. If you've got someone that's looking to to not do the project, then that gives them something to really to hang on. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. That can just torpedo the whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah. It's one of the reasons we're so careful with our validation and making sure that what we put out is right. But, you know, things happen. Uh, um, People that think they know the business rules to give a measure, give the formula for a measure, it may turn out they're missing a piece. And you need to get it out there in front of the users before you find out. Right. Right. All right. So after culture, um, executive sponsorship. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff you can do around executive sponsorship. And in fact, we'll probably go into that in another podcast. Won't go to the details here. Um, what's the next piece that you think is most important? So there's a concept that uh, is called the center of excellence. So it's basically a panel of people that that are part of the company that get to make and are in charge of not get to make. They actually are burdened with making yeah. the decisions around data um, and governance and those types of, of decisions that need to be made as you start rolling some of these things out. Yeah. So people talk about governance in BI and data a lot. Um, and this is really what we're talking about when we talk about governance, having some kind of controls, um, some kind of body or person, but you know, usually more than one, that's going to help you define, okay, what are best practices? Um, what, it, what, it, what does a set of data, what characteristics does it need to have before we'll call it certified and people can use and trust it? Um, what are the characteristics of data that we're going to call uncertified? And then how are the, what are the best ways for you to interact with that data? Just because it's not certified doesn't mean it might not be useful, but it just may not be mature, uh, fully mature yet. So mm -hmm. that center of excellence concept, I think, is really important. And it can be hard when that doesn't exist at all. But just having the concept and starting to put those pieces in place can really help start pulling things together. Yeah. And yeah, I think center yeah. of excellence then as you as you get maturity and become data driven um, can go so much deeper. I mean, it can be it can become sort of the oracle for the company. So a, a really good center of excellence will have some method for users to be able to ask questions and get clarification and have a, an escalation path for when they see there's an error or something should be modified to make it better. All those types of things. Yeah, right. Um, another uh, another big pillar after center of excellence is 
is something uh, I think Microsoft actually has this in some of their white papers referred to as the content delivery scope. Sounds kind of confusing to me. What it what it um, means is basically what is the supported data and reporting for the company and defining that so that people are clear on, okay, this is supported, this isn't. Just because something's not supported doesn't mean you might not use it for some doing some analytics and so on. But what's the stuff that we can trust? What's the stuff we're really running the business on? And so defining that, at least where you're starting and what the roadmap of that is going to look like can be really important to getting data-driven. It helps remove um, ambiguity and confusion and gets users aligned on what they can expect. Yeah, that alignment piece is huge. So anything you can do to, to help with that, definitely do it. Yeah, yeah. All right, and then there's another concept uh, on the path to getting data-driven um, called the the business algorithm or business objectives and algorithm. Do you have a sense for how to describe that? Well, I'll take a stab at it if you. Uh, yeah, I, I can, I can give it a shot. So really it tells you, you know, your business objectives. You can think that you're, you're out there to do something, right? Like I can't think of a good example right now, but you want to, <laughs> you want to do something out there. You have business objectives I've got that you want for to, you. to complete. Okay, go you want to make your um, service delivery guys, and and women who are driving around in trucks, you want to get their utilization as high as possible. So as much of the time that you're paying them for, they're billable to a client. So that might be an objective. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's a good one. So let's say that your target is ninety percent. You say yeah, ten percent we're going to use for training or whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> so that would be your that would be one of your business objectives, and you would have metrics that support that. Now you might think that oh, that's just utilization. Maybe, but there's probably five other things that support that as well. And you need to define what things and what metrics are going to support utilization so that when somebody has very poor utilization, you're not just saying that person has poor utilization. You're saying that person has poor utilization. Now let me look at this and this and this. Okay. Now I understand what's going on and we can actually do something about it. And that, that having those things, you know, lined up and, and defined helps with that, uh, you know, building a great place to work, right? You, you take that salesperson example, if they, if you're just judging them on that end number and you don't care about the context around it, you know, manager could come down hard on somebody. It's like, well, there's all these other circumstances that you could have looked at and seen, okay, this is what's going on. Let's actually fix some of the root issues right. here and actually work with this person. And that, you know, just makes a better, better culture. Yeah. Well, and also you can take someone that might have failed based on the end number and make them successful. I've seen that right. many times in many different situations. Yeah. And that's ultimately what you'd hope for, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. And then there's one more sort of uh, pillar, I think, which is establishing a community of practice. Mm -hmm. What does this mean? So this is like your analysts and your developers within the company. A lot of the companies we work with don't have a staff to do this, um, but it's Essentially what it is, is it's, it's a group of people that you can, you know, share ideas with, share best practices with, um, get answers from that type of thing. So, um, for us, you, you could use, if you don't have this or you don't have people that could participate in this, you could use like a third party to, to be that community of practice for you. Yeah. Um, somewhere to give, give your users support. 
yeah. you know, people that are responsible for this. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, we have that just internally as we support our customers. We have a huge community of practice here. So just because you're not working as a blue margin employee, just because you're not working on a particular client's project, you may still get tapped <laughs> because yeah. you've got expertise in a particular problem that's coming up. Right, exactly. And if you can build that at your own company, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There is so much more to this topic. Um, we're already 20 minutes in, so I think we'll wrap for today. Um, we'll come back and talk about some of these pillars in more detail. There's a lot to it. Uh, but I think that that does it for today, unless you have anything else. I'm all good. All right. Thanks, Caleb. Thanks.